Okay, we're in Acts chapter 11, if you'd open your Bibles. Let's pray. Lord, we would receive from the Holy Spirit of God into our hearts the things concerning us here this morning. I think we love your word. I, I really, I, I sense we're the church that, you know, we regard your word. You regard your word above your name. So we, it's, it's sacred to us. We actually believe it's the word of God. And as such, Lord, use it to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 11. Ready? And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And, was Pe and when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou went intest to men uncircumcised and did eat with them. And you think, like, okay, what's the big deal? It's a big, big, big deal. Should it be a big deal? No. But it is a big deal. And it's not a big deal because... Peter and the ones who are with him crossed a line, uh, not a God-made line, but a man-made tradition. And it's a big deal in the thinking of the Jewish people. Now, they're legalistic, okay, to be sure. What is that? You know, when people make a big deal about things that don't need anyone to make any deal about? You know, I come and try to tell you, uh, this is how you dress. This is how you, uh, you shouldn't dress provocative. I mean, we have verses. But, you know, hey, 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 what do you think you're doing? Wearing a ball cap in the house of God. One, what's wrong with ball caps? Two, this isn't the house of God. If, you, if you're going to write a postcard to God and mail it here, he's not going to receive it. He doesn't live here. He lives in your hearts, okay? The church of Jesus Christ is an organism, not a building. Okay, I think we understand that. Other churches, they kind of wrestle with, oh, we have children running in the sanctuary, and like, I love children running. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. I remember a time when we didn't have any kids, and we were like, no, oh, God, send them here. We'll let them run and race. And Now, if you're a parent, you say, I don't want kids doing that. Well, it's up to you. I don't want kids knocking people over. I mean, there are boundaries, but we don't care. It's not a sanctuary. It's a, it used to be an antique mall. It was a batting cage, a they did jujitsu here and different things. It's just not a holy place. It's a building. It's functional. We love it. Praise God. But like I say, God doesn't live here. We don't, we're not laboring under that. That's a traditional thing. It's not a Bible thing. You can't show me verses where, thus saith the Lord, children shall not run in the sanctuary. And then we'd have to define what sanctuaries. We don't, we're, not, we're not traditionalists. We don't, every time I'm anywhere near tradition, I try to slap it down. If I don't take a swing at it, we won't knock it over. And I think it's important that we're not traditional people, that we're Bible people. God says, I put my word above my name. He didn't say I put my traditions or tradi man-made traditions above my name. Figure it out. So these are legalistic people. You know, you better not do this. What verse do you have with that? What verse do you have? And I asked this last week, and nobody came forward. Let the record show. Nobody came forward and said, oh, I looked in Deuteronomy. If you're, a, if you're of the circumcision, you can't go into the house of an uncircumcised person. Nobody showed me that verse. Why? Because it doesn't exist. And you people, you're such wonderful people. You don't have this. You don't have this baggage. I mean, you really don't. You're not like, oh, I can't believe that, you know, Peter did that. Well, we read that last week, and nobody raised an eyebrow. Of course but there's a whole, well, half a chapter, chapter 11, devoted to this. And I'll show you why that's important. You went into men uncircumcised, and you did eat with them. Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, it was the city of, 
I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet. Think of like the ones you used to hang in the living room to show, you know, your movies that we used to get on a projector and would project it onto the... Think of that sheet, you know, it's the same kind of... In my thinking, I don't know. Uh, a, a, a great sheet came down, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me, upon the which, when I fastened my eyes, I considered... And I saw four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Read here, non-kosher food. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, thou call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me, and the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? It's a good point, Pete. When they heard these things, they held their peace. In other words, they... They shut their pie holes, and they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now, we have 19 verses, 18 verses, recounting what had happened. Now, you know this, of course. When you are led by the Lord, when the Spirit gives you a vision, when God tells you, however he manifests, this is what you're supposed to do, it's beyond question, and nobody ever questions you. Correct? You're saying, are you serious? No, not even a little bit. Uh, just because you're doing the Lord's will, are you above being questioned? No. And, and Peter says, like, okay, dude, do you know who I am? I'm like Peter, okay? Like for three and a half years, I was like with Jesus, okay? And I don't know who you are, Johnny, come lately. Uh, who do you think you are anyway? Yeah, don't, don't you be questioning me. Are you an apostle? No. Am I an apostle? Well, as a matter of fact, I am an apostle. Do you see any of that in his attitude? No. And I think he sets for us. Listen, when people question, he could say, shut up, I was following God. I don't know why I have to stand here and listen to you run in your mouth. Cause... But he doesn't have any of that. And I think he tells us this is the attitude we're supposed to have. Now, I want you to understand something. Anything you do for the Lord is gonna, there's gonna be backlash. There's gonna be questions. Some of them will be real questions from real people wanting to know, hey, why were you doing this anyway? And some will be from traditionalists. Well, how do you think you can, why, how come you, and we face these questions all the time. It doesn't matter if God sent us. It doesn't matter if God sent Peter. Still, people are going to have the questions. I don't think they're bad people for having questions. And I think Peter's going to rehearse and take, 
take them through what happened. Now, you got to understand something. This, this all big repetition. The, the, God's not trying to pad the word and make it thicker, okay? Uh, when, when the book of Acts was written, it wasn't, it wasn't a codex, okay? It wasn't like a book form like we'd see now. It was written on papyrus or vellum, vellum being animal skin, papyrus being paper. And by the way, paper lasts longer. You'd think it would be the other, but it, it, we don't have like vellum from around this time or, or not much anyway, but this papyrus in a dry and desert place like Qumran, you know, uh, where the Dead Sea Scrolls will last. These are, some of these are written before the time of Christ. And they're, they're still intact. They're still, they, they, they hold up. Anyway, these rolls, the scrolls, would be like 35 feet in length would be the most you could, that, that's the, and then it would start losing its integrity. You know, you'd pick it up and it would fall apart just for the weight of it and stuff. So it's not that they're trying to make it bigger or longer or, you know what I mean. It's, it's, not, it's not like that at all. So if the Holy Spirit of God devotes 18, 17, 18 verses to re... And you know what? Nothing's added. Nothing's added. The only thing I saw as I was reading through this, okay, uh, the six brethren accompanied me. That's important. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, may every word be established. This is two times three witnesses. We've got plenty of witnesses. Go ask them. They'll tell you it happened exactly like I'm saying. So I think that's important. That little... uh, addition that we didn't read uh, when we were in chapter 10. The other thing that he reminds us of, he says, then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. He tells us that as the Holy Spirit fell and the people started speaking in tongues, he remembered that Jesus had said that in Acts chapter 1. And he recounts that. And we didn't know that from the narrative last time. So he adds that little factoid as well. Is that important? Yeah, he's, he's trying to explain to them, look, there's things here, and you can go through this whole thing. I mean, it's kind of brilliant in its own right. Listen, I had this vision. Cornelius had this vision. God's on both ends of the rope, okay? God's working both ends of this to make it come out right. The angel of the Lord went into Cornelius' house. If one of God's holy angels thought it was okay, what, what, what am I going to tell God? No, I ain't doing it. Well, I did tell God that, and he superintendent, he vetoed my idea. I ain't never going to eat anything uncommon or unclean. Now, this isn't about food at all. He understood that the vision was about receiving these Gentiles, one, into Simon the Tanner's house, and two, that he was supposed to go with him. The Spirit of God told me, what was I going to do? And then he, you know, recounts the whole thing, and is the whole chapter in the Bible, well, half a chapter in the Bible devoted to this. Is this important? Yeah, it's very, very important. We're going to f- find that throughout the rest of the book, people are trying to get over this hurdle. God saving Gentiles, they thought we were dogs. They still call us dogs in some circles. They thought we were uh, supposed to be, for no purpose only, only that to fuel the fires of hell. We were supposed to be cordwood eternally, and that was our only function. And all of a sudden, people who Seriously follow the Lord, who love the Lord, thinking, Gentiles? What's God going to do next? Save puppies? What? This is crazy. So, and God had to keep on reinforcing this idea. You see, even in this chapter, you'll see how it plays out. Um, any Gentiles here? Yeah, we're all Gentiles. Any, any people here Jewish at all? Have any part Jewish in them that they know about? Let the record show there was none. You happy? Are you happy that the gospel went to Gentiles? I mean, God gave us a chance at this thing. Uh, now, I'm not going to 
talk much about circumcision. Imagine that. Imagine like, you know, we have to uh, be proselytes to Judaism. Everyone has to, you know, subscribe to circumcision and do all the Jewish festivals and all that, wear the yarmulke, the prayer shawl, the whole. God's like, wow. That's only a picture, a shadow of things to come. You Hebrews, you want to do Passover? Do it forever. It's prescribed. Are you Jewish? I don't think you have to do Passover. I think you get to. They're the, you know, people always trying to, you know, you run to these Jewish groups and they're always trying to get you to do Jewish kind of stuff. I think Passover is wonderful. I love lamb. I, I mean, I love lamb. And I would like to go through that ceremony and think and like what God did and how he rescued us out of Egypt. He brought us through how that Red Sea experience was kind of like our baptism and, and, and you know, all the things that happened in the wilderness is a picture of, the, you know, how God deals with us. And by the way, we're on that on Sunday nights. We're talking about Exodus and we're in the plague spot, funner than fun. Um, yeah, it'd be good to commemorate. You have to, it's an observance, you have to be in Jerusalem if you're 30 years old or more and you have to keep a cedar and then you're thinking like, yikes, I don't know if I can afford to go to Jerusalem three times a year, it's kind of pricey and that's the law, you want to keep the law, you got to keep the law, you know, the whole thing. Uh, and God's like, I'm just, how about just grace, how about just salvation, how about you just come and walk with me and be in my people? Well, like, yeah, all right, sign me up. And he Tells the, finishes with the story is God gave them, this, he, he was like, like, you remember Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God came on us and we spoke in other tongues and the Spirit gave utterance? That happened to them. Hello? And they would have had to connect the dots. This is why they held their peace. They didn't have an argument. What could they say? And they glorified God. That's the right answer. That's the right answer. They glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And by the way, I this is a minor point. How does life come? Repentance. <laughs> I think, you know, we have salvation experience, void of repentance. <laughs> did he save you? Did he say, what did he save you from? You know, sin, right? And you've turned from it. You've, you're, there's contrition, there's sorrow, there's, ah, I'm icky, I did this whole sin thing. I mean, he saves us from something. I think people, like, add Christ to their resume. I don't think that's salvation. I don't, I don't see it anywhere supported in Scripture. And if you're thinking, like, why some people, like, I don't know how to say this right, what, how it really takes in some people's lives, and some people it's just kind of, like, they get, it's like putting their toe in the water, they're trying. They're not all in. They're kind of like, and they're easy come, easy go. I think they're the ones like, you know, that the, the four soils, you remember? They heard the word and they sprung up, and it looks like life. It looks like something good's happening. Was it really salvation? No, because it's really thin, and all it's got to do is some sun hit it, and it shows that it's not for real. Is there a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold? No. What's the difference? 
He saved us from our sins, and we live in like his immense gratitude. I was so going to hell, and I so deserved it. And now, not only am I not paying the penalty for my sin, because Jesus paid the penalty for my sin, but he's adopted me into his forever family. This is outrageous. This is unprecedented. This is, there's no gospel around like that. And we live in the reality of that. It's going to be different from those who are just putting their toe in the water. It, what happened? Repentance happened. Let's keep moving. Now, they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose from Stephen. You remember that? Okay, there were seven, you know, to minister to the, the widows. They weren't getting their daily, you know, ration of food. And so what happens is they appointed the seven deacons, and, they, uh, and then persecution broke out, and they stoned Stephen. You remember chapter 7, his wonderful defense of the of the gospel and of faith in God, wonderful chapter, uh, because persecution broke out, they fled for their lives, taking the gospel with them. And I think the genius of God say, wow, somebody lost their life. Yeah, that happens a lot. Uh, you know, we're those, not in America, not in the 21st century, it's kind of, it's kind of extreme. You, you might have heard or read something where somebody actually got assaulted to the point of death for being a Christian in America. It doesn't happen very often. It happens all over the world in more increasing numbers than it ever happened before. You've got to listen to Voice of the Martyrs. Incredible stories. I mean incredible stories. Just life-altering stuff to listen to. I mean, you guys getting that app. I mean, getting that podcast, Voice of the Martyrs. Good, I've successfully got one convert. Me and you, Brenda, we're, we, we're, uh, we're on it. You, uh, uh, is it, am, am I lying? Is it life-changing stuff? It's incredible. It's awesome. Uh, you, you, think you get it you know, through the uh, iTunes store or Stitcher or any one of these ones where you listen to podcasts and stuff. You go to Voice of the Martyrs, uh, write the webpage and play past episodes. And I'm saying, it's, it's, they're half-hour episodes each, and they're really worth your time. And some of them are longer, so they're like two-part. I mean, life-changing kind of stuff. There's, there's persecution all over the planet. There are 40-something countries, I think, where it's against the law to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's incredible. So they were persecuted. They spread out all over the place. They took the, the gospel with them. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Why? Because they're under this tradition that, you know, God's not into. And then God's breaking down these walls. You, do you realize what happens? First of all, it's, it's Samaritans. Okay, that's the first thing that we read about. And you're thinking, well, you know, if, if you were a Jew of the day, you're thinking, well, they're half Jewish. Okay, well, I can deal with that. And then you see him, he, he saves the Ethiopian eunuch. But he was a proselyte to Judaism. He was, he was like, you know, trying to be one of us. And now God reached him with the gospel. And you kind of, you can, now your, 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 pre, your perception is widening the whole time. Oh, well, then he saved Saul. Well, okay, well, Saul is us. Saul is a Jewish guy. That's great. And now he saves Cornelius, and you scratch your head like, what is this all about? Is there no boundaries? Is there no discrimination? And God is saying, none. I am not a respecter of persons. For God so loved the world means God so loved the world. Aren't you glad I am? Praise God. Okay, 
So the, here they are at Antioch. Antioch's an important city, by the way. The thing is the third largest, third most important city after, in the Roman Empire, after Rome itself and Alexandria. It was a commercial center, and it was a, a sin center, too. Does the gospel work in areas of wickedness and depravity? Oh, it works tremendous. It works. God, God's, God's all about that. Listen, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Las Vegas, San Francisco, your own life, my own life. Where sin is really active, God is really active. I think that's wonderful. But they're preaching to none to, but Jews only. Why? Because that's how they figured this was supposed to work out. When they started in Jerusalem at Pentecost, Peter preached to Jews and proselytes of Judaism. That's it. That was his audience. Jesus had said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And I think a lot of people took that and said the uttermost parts of the Jewish earth. We don't care where we find Jews. We'll go and we'll preach the gospel to them. And Jesus had a much bigger bride in view. Again, God is no respecter of persons. I keep saying that. We ought not be either. I kind of think we're that church. I mean, if, if nobody come up to me and rebuked me last week for, for talking in these terms. I, I think we're all on the same page as far as that's concerned. Here they're not. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. Now listen, I want you to understand about this. Gr the word Grecian means Hellenist, and it means like Hellenist Jews like Paul was. Uh, like we see that in the reason that the, 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 the seven were commissioned was because the Hellenists, the, the, the Greek-speaking Jews who were practicing Greek culture, but they were observing, they were kosher, they were observing, their spirituality was derived from the Bible, but they were in a Greek culture and they, had, they dressed like Greeks, they spoke Greek, and they... They were still Jews. They, they're saying, hey, our widows are not being administered to. They're not being ministered to, in the, and you, they're not getting their fair share. So what happened is they appointed seven deacons. And they, by the way, they all had Greek names, which was, showed me wisdom right there. And so now nobody can say, oh, well, they're not getting their, their, their fair share, because they were. So sometimes it uses the word Grecian or Hellenist, and it means Greek-speaking Jews. Sometimes it means just Greek speakers. And here it means Greeks. They spoke unto Grecians. Think here, uncircumcised Gentile people, and they're preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Why uh, does it take these men from Cyprus and Cyrene? Who are they? Are they apostles? No. Are they converts that happened probably at Pentecost or, 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 or certainly since? Maybe. But we don't even know their names. But you know, I think what happened is they got the, they, they were paying attention last chapter. They got the download. They understood. Okay, it's bigger than just, because we have people just speak, preaching to the Jews only. And now here they are and they're saying, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the new rules? What's the new, we can talk to anybody? We can tell anybody? And they just take God up on that. It's a wonderful thing. Now the church here starts growing exponentially. 
and God's blessing. Listen, he would have blessed if Peter did it. He would have blessed if Paul did it, and Paul saved it at this point. He would have blessed Barnabas. He would have blessed anybody. And this, these guys saying, look at low-hanging fruit. I'm going to go in. I'm going to get all the blessing. And God says, amen. You, you have faith that I can do this thing? I'm going to show you what I can do. I'm going to absolutely bless. And so what happened? And the hand of the Lord was with them. Why? Because the heart of the Lord was with them. God loved these people. You know, I tell you something. Prayer should look like this. Lord, what do you got? What do you got? Where, where are you going? What are you trying to do? What do you, what do you, how do you want me to behave? What do you want me to uh, be engaged in these, in these days? Will he tell us? I think so. I mean, I really, really think so. Instead of trying to tell him, God, this is what you ought to be doing in my life. And now we're, we're trying to manipulate, because i got to be a millionaire after all. And so we get God over a barrel with fasting, and we keep on him about it, like the widow who's trying to, and we get his arm in a hammer lock, and where you're going to answer me, and you're going to bless, and you're going to do this. And I, I know God wants to bless your life. I get that. I mean, I really, really get that. And he does. But why are we trying to convince him? I got a better idea. Lord, what are you doing? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. What are you all about? What are you, 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 we want your will to be done. How, how can I help? Look at God's hand was on them. And I think it doesn't say it, but it's obvious to me because God's heart was, was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And so these, these nameless men of Cyprus and Cyrene, Cypriots, it's an island off Greece, right? Cyrene is northern Africa, okay? Simon, the one who carried the cross of Jesus, he's, he's from here. They're saying, okay, hey, let's step up our game. Let's, let's take the gospel of the Gentiles. I wonder if God's going to be in it. He was in it with, with Cornelius. Let's, let's do this thing. Is there great reward in heaven for them for stepping out of faith? I, I think so. I think so. Dare to do what God wants you to do. And, and God's hand will be on you too. A great number believed and turned on the Lord. Amen. Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. They sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Okay, Barney, get up there and share the gospel with them and make sure everything's going good and kind of we send somebody to oversee. Does God require that? It doesn't look like, you know, I don't want to say that this is good or bad. It seems like it was a common sense kind of thing. It seems like God was in it. Anyone who wants to go forth and teach, and that's what he's going to do, God's like, yeah, you want a good teaching my word? Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll be there. I'll bless that. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. Now, Barnabas is the right guy, okay? He's not going to be all... Remember when we first introduced to Barnabas, what happens? He's, he's selling lands, taking the money that he... and he's blessing the church with it. He takes, he lays it at the apostles' feet and says, God bless you, use it however you can use it. He's an edifier, he's a, someone who builds up. He's, he's an exhorter. Uh, don't think drill sergeant yelling like a crazy man. Think of somebody who's like, you can do it. You can do it. No, I, okay, you fell. Okay, well, let's get back up. Let's try this again. Brothers and sisters, what a wonderful gift. We need more exhorters. Naysayers, if you're like critical and you're always down on everybody and everything, what gift is that? The gift of criticism, right, from second 
theologians chapter this doesn't exist we don't but some people think that's the gift like they're gonna find out what, what everyone's doing wrong and they're on them about it now certainly there's a place for lovingly coming alongside somebody when they're messing up and telling them that. And I'm glad to get it when, when somebody does it to me, when I'm, when I'm not where I should be spiritually. I've got, I've got people speaking in my life, and it's a wonderful thing, but not first. Not, you know, I'm just looking at your life, waiting for you to mess up, and then I'm just going to pounce and give you the... No, we don't need that. Next time we see him, he's, um, you remember, it's with uh, Paul gets saved, and he comes to Jerusalem. He's trying to join himself as the disciples, and they want no part of that. And Barnabas comes, and he, and he, and he bridges that gap, and he's, he uses his influence in both Paul's life and the apostle. And so, no, no, I, I know this guy. He's for real. He's the real deal. He really got saved. He is like turned on to Jesus Christ. He's one of us. You gotta, and so he took them two and brought them together. That's what, that's, what, that's what a man of God does. That's what a, that's what a woman of God does. He's, he's wonderful for that. Now, when he comes here, he sees the grace of God. Are they, do they have some problems? Listen, they're from a depraved, wicked culture. Their, their worship had to do with temple prostitutes, and it was just as debased and as ungodly as possibly could be. Was there... Things that had to be worked out of their lives, oh, to be sure, to be sure. I, I, one of the ministries I really loved back in the day, I was working with like Seven Oaks. Guys come with eight, listen, the, the drugs, the alcohol, the messed up lives, the, the lying all the time, the stealing that had to go to support their habit. Was, did they have a, a few problems with their uh, lives? Oh, yeah, yeah, so what do you do? Yell at them until they... Figure it out, right? You share the gospel. You share. You, you, they, so they go home and they mess up often. And they come back and they're all shamefaced and stuff. Kick them. Kick them. Thus saith the Lord. And kick them right in the backside until they smarten up. Or you just work with them. You love them. You say, hey, okay, you messed up. Get over yourself. I've messed up. You've messed up. It ain't going to be your, it may be your first. It won't be your last. I'll tell you that right now. And you, you work with them. You love them. You pour yourself into them. You graciously. Now, there's a time when, you know, you have to just draw a line and say, because, you know, People acting ridiculous and there's no sign of repentance. You know, I'm not, I'm not, if your husband beats you, I'm not going to say graciously let him back into your life. There's laws, there's safety issues, things like that. But you always look at how I can reestablish, how I can build up, how I can, can, you know, and just, you know, get people to like, trust the Lord. Don't trust yourself. You know why you're all disappointed when you, when you fail? You know why that is? Because you trusted in yourself. You thought you, oh, I can do this. I can stand. I can, I'm strong. What? To be disappointed in self is to have faith in self. <laughs> where, did you, where did that come from? Why, why did you think that you were anything? Don't you realize how ridiculous you are? Sorry if that hurts your self-esteem, but you are. <laughs> I are. I mean, we know it. We're, thanks for your grace, Lord. It's the only way I can make it. 
And he, so Barnabas was the right man. It was, a good, it was a good choice. He was a good man. Wait a second, you said there was none good. No, not one. No, God said that. And when the Bible says he's a good man, listen, you, you understand. Don't you understand? Because I'll say about a guy, oh, he's a good brother, he's a good man, he's a good guy. You know what I mean. I'm not saying he's so righteous he can go to heaven on his own merit. You, you, and neither is the Bible saying that. When they're talking about Barnabas being a good man, they, they use it like we would use it. Okay, I call like several of you people, I've used said to your face or behind your back what a good guy you were. You, you, that wouldn't surprise you, would it? And I don't mean that guy's going to stand before God and God's saying, you are awesome, you come right in. No, that's ridiculous. It's using it like we would use it. So it's not like, it's not a contra- contradiction or anything from other scripture. It's just saying, yeah, he's a good guy. Why? Because he's full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people were added unto the Lord. Because Bonnie's there ministering. Uh, Barnabas. His name when we meet him is Joses. J-O-S-E-S. But they nicknamed him Barnabas. Son of consolation. Son of exhortation. He's good at consoling. He's good at bringing people, building them up. And then it just becomes, he just becomes Barnabas after a while. He, he becomes known by his nickname. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Why? Uh, it doesn't say, but I, can, I, can, I have an idea if you want to hear it. If you don't want to hear it while you're here anyway, right? Um, this is a, a, a urbane, they're very with it, they're very intelligent. It's a center of culture. Okay, wickedness and depravity. But I think people are coming up with questions that... Barnabas has never heard before. Do we know he's from an urban center? No. Is he urbane? Is he, does he have the, you don't know how to say it right. Does he know Greek culture and how they think? I don't know that. I think he feels overmatched. You know when someone comes to you and they have really super intellectual questions about the Bible and sometimes you feel like, I don't know if I can answer that. Well, one, be calm, right makes might. But, you know, scientists question the Bible too, and I'm not a scientist. I teach the Bible. And they say, well, what we, you know, digging in the dirt somewhere, we found this, this, and this. What, what do you say to that? And I'm like, and they're not being arrogant or anything. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which is true. You don't have to have your feathers ruffle. I mean, there's people who know. There's people who know cultures. People, look. He went and he got Saul. He went to Tarsus to get Saul of Tarsus. He's not Saul of Jerusalem. He's a Greek speaker. He t- grew up in a Greek culture. He knows what's going on. He knows how to minister to these people. Is this wisdom? I think it's wisdom and I think it's humility. A friend of mine started a church, like kind of as a stopgap, you know, I'll kind of pass until we find somebody who can do it. Because he never felt like he was the guy. Now, sometimes you want to build somebody up and say, yeah, yeah, you know, you can do it, you can do it. But some people just know their limitations and know like, no, I'm, I am full of the Holy Spirit or not. This is not my gifting. This is not what God has for me. And for them to say, yeah, uh, I'm going to pass the baton on to somebody else who God has called. I think that's tremendously humble. I know a lot of you guys, yeah, whatever you do, I can do that easy. 
Praise God. If you have a call, by the way, I'm never going to discourage that. I'm never going to try to hold you down, hold you back, because it's all about my little empire here. I'm trying to build an empire. No. Uh, my past is not like that, and I'm not like that. The magazine in the, in the foyer is evidence of Ken Graves is not an empire builder. He's like, take the gospel out there where... And I, I appreciate that so much. I really do. And I'm never going to be the kind of guy who's trying to hold people back. You say God's got a call on my life? Well, let's, let's test that. Let's find it out. I would encourage you this. If you could do anything else whatsoever, do the other thing. You say, why would you say that? Because I know when people have a call, they have a... It's... It's... You can't say, I don't, know how, I, don't want to, I don't want to get off into a, it's really hard to tell God no when he's put a call in your life. He's going to have, if you love the Lord and you're, you're going to do what he wants you to do, he's not going to like, okay, I changed my mind. You're dragging your feet on this. I mean, we're looking at the story of Moses, right? I'm slow to speech, send somebody else. I made your mouth. What are you talking about? Oh, I don't, oh, you'll send Aaron. Listen, okay, I'll let Aaron go with he, Moses isn't going to talk God out of his call. And if you think like, well, this would be cool, it's cool, but it's, if that's what you're, more times than not, it's very, very hard work. You roll up your sleeves, you, and people don't pat you on the back and tell you how wonderful person you are. They call you a moron, and, and, and you're, they're, they're fine with what you say until you sacrifice their sacred cow, then all of a sudden you... You're a moron and you're... I, early on, I found out about this. This is not me crying. Please, don't take that. This is not me saying... I know it sounds like that. It's not. You have to believe. It's just not. I remember early on, I was talking, and I was talking about... It was a verse on, you know, alcohol and stuff like that. I was denouncing the use of alcohol, and somebody invited me over to the house, for me and Sue's, for dinner. And then he lectured me about that I wasn't against alcohol enough. And so I'm thinking, wait, wait... I, I said, I don't use it, and I don't say that you should use it either, and I, and I told, like, there's no verse in the Bible saying, thou shalt not drink any alcohol whatsoever. And I got in, kind of in trouble with him because he thought you should say that. And I'm like, the Bible, I'm not going to pass the Bible. I'm going to go, I'm going to teach what the Bible says, and it's going to be the way it is, and I'm not, I'm not God's editor. I'm just I'm declaring, I'm teaching, but I'm not going to rewrite just so it will suit us. So I can be on the right side, and now it's degrees, and I can hit the exact degree, because, you know, uh, if I say, God says, you shall not use alcohol, if you even drink a drop, you're going right to hell. I'm not saying that. And then I'll get in trouble with the people who say, where did you find that verse? I'm just going to say what the Bible says, and if you have a problem, take it up with the author. That's, that's kind of how I feel about it. But even if you say the right thing, you're still going to get criticism. You know, if I teach pre-tribulation rapture. Not everyone believes that. As a matter of fact, the majority of Christendom doesn't. Or they don't even believe in a rapture at all. But this is what Scripture clearly says, and I'm going to report it. I'm going to say it. Is that going to keep me out of mischief? Not at all. So, if you're all in and you're saying, no, God has called me to do this, welcome aboard. Barnabas says, I'm not the one. They're asking questions I can't answer. This, uh, possibly, and I think probably. L listen, listen, let me go get Saul. What's he doing anyway? It's about 12 years from the time Saul gets saved. He's saying, really? Yeah, you don't really have a sense of it when you're reading chapter after chapter. 
He got saved on the road to Damascus. He went to Arabia for three years. Now he settled back in Tarsus doing what? I don't know, making tents, I guess. That's what his profession was. Does he know stuff? Well, he knows a lot of stuff. Can he minister to this group here? Oh, he can. And Barnabas says, okay, this is great, teach you stuff, but I think I'm in over my skis. You know what? I'm going to get a guy who's like super gifted. That's, that's wonderful. That's so humble. That's so... Because, like, at the end of the day, I don't care about my ego. I, I can be the number two guy. I don't care. But I, I do care that, you know, that ministry happens, that the Bible gets... This, this guy was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. You don't think he can answer your questions? I'm sure he can. And just as a word, look, if you're the A guy or the B guy or the C or D guy, wherever you come in, or lady, wherever you come in ministry to, to be part of the team or to you know, hold up somebody's hands in prayer or to come alongside. Listen, you do this really good. I can do the administrative kind of stuff. Whatever you fun- find your function, find where you're, and if it's your ego's in the way, it's, it's not going to work nearly as well. Barnabas, I don't think he's ego guy, so he departed, uh, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And the word seek there means like to hunt down. It's not like Instagram, hey, Facebooked him. Hey, where you at, dude? Oh, okay, I'll be right there. I mean, he had to go, and it's not that far away, but it, it cost money, it cost time, it was hard work, and he did what he felt like he had to do for the sake of this church, this early church in Antioch, which, by the way, is going to become the headquarters for Christendom. Jerusalem only sta- it only started in Jerusalem. This is the church that is going to send out Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. So Paul and Barnabas are establishing a church that's going to say, okay, the Holy Spirit of God's, they're all in a prayer meeting, I think it's in chapter 13, and the Holy Spirit of God says, yes, separate Paul and Barnabas. Isn't that something? Because if Paul and Barnabas went to church here, I think I'd like to hang on to them. (laughs) You guys are on staff, okay, permanently and forever, okay? Just name your price, we'll pay it, we'll figure it all out, right? No, not at all. They're like, okay, what do you, you want what, Lord? Okay. And they pray and they lay their hands on them. You got to go. Spirit of God says so. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. To help out? Yeah. And, it, and, and we're going to see at the end of this chapter, it's Barnabas and Saul. Uh, it's going to become Saul and Barnabas at some point. And then, of course, Saul's name becomes Paul. We'll, we'll figure it all out when we get there. He found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were first called Christians, first at Antioch. There's two things here I want to talk about quick. First, would you like to be in that class for a whole year? Barnabas and Saul, the Saul, teaching you the Bible. Oh, awesome, 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 with a side of awesome. Disciples first called Christians, first in Antioch. Now, I want you to understand something about this. Some people say, this is derisive term. (coughs) Like it means little Christ. It can be. It can be. It still can be. Someone calls you a Christian. I think whatever, because they kind of like, ooh, I like that. And they kind of adopted it, because there's only two times in the whole book of Acts where they call Christians. 
And here it introduced another time they're called Christians, but it doesn't seem to be a pejorative later on. Here it doesn't have to be a, a negative term. Pejorative, you understand negative term. I say that because somebody else will download this and they're not as clever as you, right? So I should define that, right? Uh, pejorative term, negative, derisive. Uh, here, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Because if the, you know, you're a follower of Herod, you're Herodian. If you're a follower of Caesar, you're Caesarian, right? It's that E and N that makes you of that. I think it might be derisive here, and I think the Christians say, oh. It's like, uh, I remember the first time uh, like I got saved, and so says, oh, I heard you're like a God freak now. And that's definitely a pejorative term, but it was a friend of mine who liked me well. And I thought like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll own that, I'll take that. I know what he meant. He wasn't, okay, he was poking me a little bit, but it was all good fun, stuff like that. Jesus freak, God freak, Christian, uh, you know, and titles and all this stuff like this. Can't we just be Christians? What nah, does it mean anything anymore? Like 70-something percent of America thinks they're Christian. <laughs> Not after last Tuesday, you can't convince me of that. But anyway, story for another time. You, you can convince me before, after, during, or since. I mean, look, uh, I always think you missed the decimal point. It's not 74, it's 7.4. Of all people I know, and maybe less than that. And Barna has these wonderful, like, okay, you know, 74% of Americans call themselves Christians. Uh, there are more people in America who believe that we were seated here by aliens than to believe in Creator God. Find Christian thought and theology. Right? And they go on to say, you know, how many people believe the Bible is the Word of God, and it's the minority by a lot, and how many people believe, you know, the divinity of Jesus Christ, and it's a minority by a lot. And these Christians don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. They don't believe that Jesus is, you know, uh, God incarnate. They don't believe, you know, salvation by grace through faith. They don't believe in anything Christian, but they're Christian. It's just a word, and it's kind of lost its value. I kind of like it because I... It's kind of, I don't know, people say, you're a Christian? I'm like, yeah, I like to name the name. And, so, and there's other words we use, you know, are you an evangelical? Yes. Are you a fundamentalist? Yes. You know, and, and people trying to figure you out, because Christian doesn't really mean anything anymore. And if you, they say, you're a Christian, you say, yeah, and they, what does that mean? I, I believe in our space alien brothers and who seated us here. I don't believe the Bible's word of God. I don't believe in salvation by grace through faith in the name of Jesus Christ alone. I have all these weird ideas, but I'm a Christian, right? So we, but here I don't know. It's, this is when they're first, and they're called a lot of things. They're people of the way, they're brethren, they're disciples. They're called a lot of different things, you know, depending on which aspect of the life they're looking at. Uh, and I'm kind of sorry that the word fell into disfavor. Not disfavor, but, you know, you used to, back when I was a kid, you'd say, hey, you a Christian? And they'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm an American, aren't I? That's kind of less, it's not happening quite as much anymore. You know, people don't think oh, I'm born in America, so therefore I'm a Christian. But it still doesn't, again, the majority of Americans consider themselves Christians. And if the majority of Americans were Christians, this would be a far better society than it is now. Story for another time. In those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. So now we have this church at Antioch, and they're meeting. 
in a building like this, courtyard, uh, whatever structure, houses, no doubt. How big is the church? Well, there were many that were added because they all fit in one house. Were there house meetings? Was there, did they have some sort of you know, public meeting place? It doesn't really tell us. And, you know, whatever. But there came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Are there prophets in those days? Yeah, there are prophets in these days. Yeah, but you've got to be very careful. So one of these prophets, I was sharing this with some friends. I didn't say much about it because... They don't be accused of being a false prophet. One of these prophets prophesied Tuesday of a red tsunami. I'm using my ditto fingers. That was the exact phrase. Did a red tsunami happen Tuesday? Not so you'd notice, okay? And then so I got back online on YouTube, say, okay, what his spin was on this. And we well, got to be patient. You got to, God can still do this in 2020. And... Uh, well, a red tsunami did happen, and they showed you know a couple of governor races, or we picked up a seat or two in the Senate, and or so. Uh, what kind of red tsunami are you talking about? But uh, so there's still those people around. But the Bible tells us if they prophesy in the name of another god, don't listen to them, and if they're wrong, they're a false prophet. Did Isaiah get it right? Only a hundred percent of the time. Did Jeremiah get it right? Only a hundred percent of the time. How about Ezekiel? Ezekiel was struggling. His batting average was only a hundred percent. Now, some of those things haven't happened yet because they have to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ, okay? But anything that God said was going to happen, happened exactly to the letter. He's very, very precise in the things that he predicts. And we can have a study after study after study on this. What we do is we go through different sections of Scripture. But God gets it right all the time. And don't tell me, and so I get, you know, people kind of trying to walk it back. Well, a prediction isn't the same as a prophecy because, yeah, stop it. Just stop. You were wrong. You're a false prophet. Retire. Get off the public. And just repent. I'm not saying you're, you're not saved. You're going to hell. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying you're certainly not a prophet. Some people have an impression and they speak like, well, this is what God has put on my heart. Well, I, I do this myself. Listen, I'm praying. I feel like God's moving in my heart and something, saying, you know, tell them this. And I always am faithful to share that with you, but I got verses to back it up. And I never say this is what God told me is going to happen yet. I've never said that yet because I've never been a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. It's not my gift. Will it be at some point? I can't tell God what's going to happen. Like, uh, you will not give me this. All things being equal, I'd rather not have it because it's, it's not an enviable position. I mean, like, you know, Jeremiah, I don't want to be thrown down a well, okay? Uh, Isaiah, I don't want to be put in a log and having the log sawn in half. That would mess my day up. Uh, it's not like people want to have this. And people who do, I think they're just trying to promote themselves. Can God prophesy? People have prophesied, have spoken prophecy into my life. It's still a real gift. Just You've got to be super, uber careful. And then the thing is like, okay, red tsunami, well, show me. I'm not committed to anything. I'm going to vote anyway, right? It didn't change my votes. It didn't, it, didn't, it didn't, like, I didn't set my compass by this guy or anything. And then when it didn't happen, it's like, okay. Fair enough. Don't listen to that anymore. And I'm like everybody else, by the way. I want people to say what I want to hear anyway. You've got to be really careful about that. Just the guy who's saying what I want to happen, I'm going to listen to him. No. How about what God says? So there stood up one named Agabus. Is he a real spirit of God? Is he a real God 
ordained, spirit-filled prophet. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm super dry today. He signified by the Spirit there should be a great dearth. Dearth is famine, you knew that, throughout all the world, throughout all the Roman world, that is. The Bible very often uses the world to talk about the Bible world. Uh, was there a famine here in China, among uh, South America, among the Incas? The, no, no. The, the Roman world. And it came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar, the Holy Spirit of God wants us to know that and factor that into our thinking. Agabus is the real deal. Later on, he's kind of dramatic. Uh, I guess prophets are kind of dramatic. Later on, he's going to tie himself up with Paul's belt and say, the guy who owns this, this he's going to be bound the same way. You know, he's going to be you know, eye candy and do the whole act it all out, play charades with it and everything else. And that's fine because what he says comes true. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. There's going to be a, a famine there. Holy smokes. Was it going to affect the people in Antioch too? Yeah. But we're, you know, we have this trade and stuff. I'm not hurting. I get extra. I can help out. Which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul show up in Jerusalem. Hey, I got some for you guys. And they pull out all this money. Say, yeah, it's from your Gentile friends at Antioch. Now, if there's any animosity and any racism still, isn't this the last brick in the wall going away? Isn't this the last that God's saying? Imagine a Jewish person who's still thinking, Gentiles, psh, you know, oh, man, we've got to do something. My kids are getting hungry, and I'm just, and all of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas show up with all this, and hey, it's from your Gentile friends. I think at this point, you have to recalibrate, and you have to, Think, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you, all, what are you all about here? Praise God. Okay, so that's it. We come to the end of the chapter, chapter 12 next week. God willing, a stand. The guys will come, send us out of here in song. Father God, we thank you for your word. It speaks to our heart. We want to be those build-up people. Even if it's our gift or not, we don't want to be the criticism the gossip, the, the dragging people down, the bad-mouthing. We don't want to be like that. And we want to be the financially, we see people hurting, Lord. We can help, and we want, to, want to, we want that to be part of our ministry, part of our lives. And Lord, for all this word given here this morning, we just thank and praise you. Uh, I say again, you put your word even above your name, and so do we. We love your word, Lord. Have it have an effect in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.